Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you so much. Father, we thank you for giving us each other as a family. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your, your unending, undying, ever-faithful, never-ending love for us. And Father, we thank you that you came to this earth and died for us so that we could be forgiven and spend eternity with you. And Father, we, we, we can never thank you enough for that. We thank you for your word. And Father, as we study your word, Father, I pray that we will gain a better understanding of who you are and who we are and our relationship with you. Father, guide us in this service. Open our hearts and minds and, and, and eyes and ears to apply this message to our life and to understand who we are and who you are. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so our, our sermon today is called For the Joy That Lay Before Him. Um, we're going to be wrapping up the gospel today. We're going to jump right in to, to Jesus and his crucifixion, um, a story that, that I know that we're all familiar with, um, the events leading up to his crucifixion, during his crucifixion, and after. Um, <clears throat> but I titled this sermon because I, I want to kind of harp on this idea. Jesus was not looking forward to being crucified. No one looks forward to excruciating agony and pain and suffering, no matter what it is. No one looks forward to, to losing a child before they die, the agonizing suffering of that. No one looks forward to name, fill in the blank. There's all kinds of things that no one looks forward to. But in Jesus' case, what we see is that even though he was in agony and, and was not looking forward to what was going to happen to him, he was committed to it. He was committed to it for a reason. And the reason he had was the joy that lay before him. Let's jump right in. What is the most commonly recognized Christian symbol? The cross. This is recognized worldwide. This is what we love to stick on things, to, to wear on clothing, to put on cups, to, to, to proclaim the cross. It's also the reason that Christians around the world are being killed that churches are being burned, that houses are being burned, that fields are being burned, that people, women and children are being shot and killed. <clears throat> the cross. Jesus was not excited about the cross, but he was committed to the cross. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> Um, he proves his own love for us. Proves it. How, how do we know God loves us? He proved it. The cross. The cross is God's proof of his love for us. I can tell you I love you. But when it comes down to actually having to make the hard decisions, that's when I'll prove it or not. You can say you love somebody, but when it comes down to the tough call, which decision are you going to make? That's when you prove it. Do you really love someone? God proved his love for us with the cross. 
He came, he left heaven, he left his throne, he came to earth to die at our hands. That's how he proved his love for us. Jesus' coming to die for us shows his love for us. John 15, 12 through 14. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus said there's no greater love than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. God showed his love for us in laying his life down for us. And he said that we are his friends if we do what he commands us. It's the idea of being a disciple. He said to go out and make disciples, to baptize them when they accept faith, and then to teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. His disciples, those who are saved. This was obviously not easy for Jesus. So we're going to take a, a good portion of Scripture here to look at. We're going to look at the night before his crucifixion and what he went through. He told his disciples that that night he would be betrayed. Matthew 26, starting in verse 21. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. So he just outright said it. One of you is going to betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So he tells them right out, one of you is going to betray me. And by the way, this right here represents my blood that's, about to be, that's going to be poured out. My blood's going to be poured out. It goes on. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So in other words, he says, one of you is going to betray me. This represents the blood that I'm going to pour out. And I'm not even going to drink another glass of wine again until I drink it with you in heaven. He's about to die right away. So he he lets them know, if you're his disciples, if you're his close friends, at this point you are distressed. You are broken. You are upset because it's right now. It's about to happen. He goes on. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight, tonight, All of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight, 
before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Do they know when this is going to happen? What do they know? It's going to happen tonight, right? They know tonight this is going to happen. Then he went on to say, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. The guys just can never get it right in the Gospels. I don't know if you've noticed this. I know I've mentioned it. But guys, I'm just telling you, when you read the Gospels, the men disciples are always goofing up, always blundering, always doing the wrong thing. The women disciples are always being held up as doing the right thing, as being there, as... I'm just saying, guys, we got to step it up. (laughs) But he told them, one of you is going to betray me. My blood's going to be spilled out and it's going to happen tonight. Please, I'm grieved to the point of death. Stay awake and pray with me. He comes back and they're sleeping. Then he said to the disciples, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said, Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now that is a verse that we all need to keep in mind. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The scripture says that our flesh wages war against the spirit. That when we're born again, that when we give our life to Christ, we have a new heart. We have a new spirit. That our spirit wants to please God. Paul talks about being torn, about not doing the things he wants to do and, 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 and uh, doing the things he doesn't want to do and how it tears him up inside, the conflict, because our spirit wants to do what's right and our flesh doesn't. Our spirit says, Jesus is grieving, about to be betrayed. He needs me to pray with him and stay up with him. But my flesh is saying, but it's so late. And you just had a good meal. And that's what we do when we have a good meal and it's late. We get tired. But this does not just apply to this context. This applies to every day of our lives. Every day. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Therefore, we must stay alert. We must stay awake. Again, a second time he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. 
Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Three times he prayed to not go to the cross if there was another way. Three times. So what does that tell us? There was no other way. There's no other way. The cross is your only hope of salvation. Jesus dying on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for your sins is your only hope of salvation. The empty tomb, you never see that anywhere. You never see like, well, maybe you have, but it's rare. You never see like somebody wearing a necklace, you know, and they have a big gold cross and the gold necklace. You never see somebody wearing the gold necklace and an a empty tomb with a, with a stone rolled to the side, you know. But if Jesus never rose from the dead, you would have no hope of salvation. You can't separate the cross from the empty tomb. They're both together. But for not for the cross, we would have no hope of salvation. There was no other way. Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, three times, if there's any other way, there's no other way. Jesus was in agony and he said he was grieving to the point of death. Luke tells us that he was sweating drops of blood. I don't know all the details, but I've heard that's an actual clinical diagnosis that when someone is under tremendous, tremendous amounts of stress, that blood can seep through your pores. You can Google it and look it up. It's a, it's a known condition that ex, an extreme amount of stress can cause blood to seep through the pores of your skin. This is what Jesus experienced. And that's why we believe that Luke recorded that as a doctor. He understood the significance of that. Jesus was extremely stressed and not looking forward to this crucifixion. But he did not waver. He did not give up. And the part that I just want to point out, we're not going to go through the actual crucifixion passages, but the point that I want to point out is that unlike us, who would also be stressed to the max, knowing that we were going to be crucified the next day, unlike us, while he was being crucified, he could have stopped it. He told his disciples when he came to be arrested by the mob, he told his disciples, I can call 12 legions of angels to rescue me at any moment. We know that 12 legions of angels hold nothing to the power that Jesus himself had over nature and over evil and over all of creation. At any moment during the crucifixion, he could have said, I'm done. I'm not going to keep doing this. I don't love you that much. He could have. But that's why Romans 5.8 is so significant. He proved his love for us because he didn't. He didn't stop that cross. He didn't come off. When he was held down and they, drew, they hammered the nails through his wrist, when that excruciating pain, I, I forgot the name of this nerve, but there's a nerve that goes right through your wrist. It's one of the most, you know, your funny bone, you know how you hit your elbow on something? That's when you hit that nerve. 
That is an extremely, extremely large and sensitive nerve. And that's why the Romans liked it. That's why they enjoyed making it part of the crucifixion. Because when you take a spike and you hammer it through that nerve, it causes intense, incredible agony and pain. When Jesus had that first spike drilled through that nerve in his wrist, at that point, screaming out, I know you've seen our recreation of videos of it, but screaming out in agony, he could have said, all right, I'm done. But he didn't. And I would have. I'm just telling you. If I was being tortured and, and, and I, just, I just don't know that I could have done it. And I'm glad it wasn't up to me. I'm glad that I see his love for me. I'm glad that I've experienced his love for me. Because knowing how much he loves me now in hindsight may give me what I need to get through whatever I have to experience in this life. But if it was just a God that just was, I was just told he loves me and I didn't really know him and I hadn't really experienced what he had done for me. He's just some distant God that I'm just told he cares about me. At that point, I don't think I could hold on to my faith being tortured and crucified. But based on what we do know about God, based on the fact that we do know how much he loves us and what he has done for us and proved his love for us, that I think is what can give me what I'll need to get through this life, whether I'm beheaded, whether I'm, I'm, no matter what I face in the evil in this world. So what gave him that strength to endure that crucifixion? What gave him that strength? That joy. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is where it comes from. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore... Since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is where we know. He endured the cross for the joy that lay before him. The joy of being crucified? No. We've already established that. The joy of what it was going to mean. The joy of the fact that through his crucifixion, being a perfect sacrifice, now us, the only ones in need of salvation, humans, people, the only ones in need of salvation, the joy of spending eternity with us. That family we've been talking about. That's the joy that, that he was looking forward to that gave him what he needed to endure the cross. He knew what the future held. What did that future hold? God, the Trinity, with us. Because apart from the cross, there would be no us with God forever. We wouldn't be with him. There would be no family. There would be no him, father, us, children. There would be no sitting around the table eating together. You know, that thing that I keep looking forward to so much when I leave this place and I go to be with heaven, be in, be in heaven with God. He said he's going to sit at a table and eat with me. That's going to be awesome. 
Even if I have to serve him. I don't care. I don't need servants. We won't need servants. I hope we won't need dishwashers. But it won't matter. (laughs) It won't matter. The joy of sitting at the table and us taking turns serving God is just mind-blowing. Laughing. You know, it says there's no crying in heaven, but I I think that's in context. No crying because of sorrow and pain. I think there will be crying in heaven. I think we're going to laugh so hard, we're going to cry. Because we do it now. That's your best laughs, is those belly laughs that you just start crying and you can't stop crying. You know, I don't think we've got to be so literal and legalistic about it. You say, nope, no, not going to have that. No, yeah, we're going to have that. There's going to be tears of joy in heaven. And if that joy... If that joy is great enough for the God of the universe to leave his throne and be nailed to a cross, that is a joy I'm looking forward to. But we have to deal with the time while we're here. And it's not long. All of us are aware of this. Our kids may not be aware of it yet. But the rest of us are aware of this. Time flies. Where did it go? How quickly did it disappear? We will not be here long. I've said it. Even if you miraculously live to 120 years, we will not be here long. Jesus told us that while we're here, that we will be persecuted. We will suffer. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. He said, then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I'm going to be talking the first Sunday of next month. I'm going to be sharing with y'all the persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. It's the International Day of Prayer, and I'm going to take time use some Voice of the Martyrs material, and we're going to talk about our brothers and sisters around the world right now today who are being persecuted. We read this sometimes and we think, well, you know, we've never faced persecution. But our brothers and sisters who are lucky enough to have a copy of this word around the world are. They are. And they need this. They need this encouragement. They need to know God's love for them. And we're all going to need it in our life, no matter what we face. We're told to consider it a blessing and to have joy when we're persecuted. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Why are you blessed? Because you're saved. Why are you blessed to be persecuted? Because the world that's lost hates you who are saved. You are going to be persecuted if you're saved and live as if you're saved. 
If you live your life as a child of God, declaring God and declaring His greatness and telling people how good He is, the enemy will make sure you will be persecuted. And that is just going to be a reaffirmation to you that you are blessed by God. That you are saved and loved by Him. And you have an enemy. And so you are blessed if you're persecuted. James said, James chapter 1, 2 through 4, he said, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may, may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it a joy, James says, when you're persecuted. And Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. I have conquered the world, Jesus said. Paul told the Philippians in 129, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul tied those two things together. It's been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him, and we think, well, that's the greatest thing we can do. He said, but also to suffer for Him. It's granted to you. And we as Americans don't, don't, don't look at suffering that way. We don't look at suffering and say, I'm blessed. It's a joy. I'm being counted as worthy. We don't view suffering that way. But we should. Jesus said we should. Paul said we should. And John instructed us that we too are to do the same for each other. 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John said that's how we are to love one another. Because that's what our God did for us. We too must do that for each other. We must lay down our lives for each other. And so what does that mean? It means he lays down your personal preferences. It means you lay down what's best for you if it's not best for somebody else. It means you, 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 you say, well, this is really my goal and, and what I want to do, but... But, you know, I haven't taken time to think about what's best for so-and-so. And And maybe what's best for me is not best for so-and-so. So So I'm going to lay myself down. I'm going to lay myself aside and do what's best for them. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for me. What's best for him? To stay in heaven and to be worshipped by the angels. That's what's best for him. Not to leave his throne and come be crucified at our hands and and experience the most agonizing pain that he should never ever have to experience. The God of the universe who brought us into existence and made us, he should never have ever ever had a nail driven through his hand. Ever. But what was best for him was not what was best for us. And so he laid his self down for us, which should never have happened. In the first place. We are people. We are creatures. We are not worthy. Of the God who gave us existence. To lay himself down for me. It should have never happened. 
But the reason it did was because his love for me was so great. And so I just want to pray for the rest of my life that he gives me that great love for others. I just want him to give me his love so that I can turn around and love him back more and I can love others more. That is what we are called to. We must lay ourselves aside for the betterment of others, for what's best for others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your act of grace by limiting our days on this earth from a thousand to a hundred. We thank you for that. We thank you that life does fly by. We thank you that we don't have to stay here long. That when we're in heaven with you for a million years, we'll look back as if this was never even happened. It just gone. We thank you that you don't want us to suffer long but father you showed us an example you gave us an example to follow you suffered for us to do what was best for us and you gave us that as an example so that we would choose to suffer for others to do what's best for others father we want to see your kingdom grow for no other reason than to know that you will have children in heaven with you forever that you made and desired to spend eternity with that you desire to laugh and 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 enjoy and have fun together that you enjoy our company that we would be a family in the in its most pure sense in perfect sense so father for that reason we want to see your kingdom grow we want to know that, that, that we're doing everything we can to see the people that you laid yourself down for and that you were willing to take the crosses through your hands for and the agony of, of hanging in that hot sun, not able to breathe with your back torn and shredded from being flogged. Father, that you went through all that in order for us to spend eternity with you. So we want to see those people come to know you, to be saved, and to spend eternity with you. Father, thank you for giving us that offer of salvation. Thank you for loving us so much. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other as ourselves. And help us to make disciples. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join me for our last song? Amen. Good to see y'all here today. I hope y'all have a wonderful, wonderful, awesome, spectacular, splendid, amazing week this week. I hope you get to experience a little bit of that joy that we're going to get to experience for all of eternity. And I pray that you get an opportunity to share that joy with someone close to you that you love. Let's pray together. Father, give us the strength to get through this world. Father, give us what we need to get through the, the hard times. And Father, give us the, the wisdom to, to know how to share your word and share your love with those around us who need, to, who need to see it, who need to know it. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, it drives everything that we do. Help us to grow closer to you and our love for you and our love for others. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.